Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Campionato di calcio italiano. Hello and welcome to the Forza Italian Football Podcast. Uh, what a weekend it's been. And of course, um, I'm not your usual host, Connor Clancy. It's Nicholas Carroll taking over the duties today. And joining me is, as always, Vito Doria. Vito, how are you going? Yeah, feeling pretty good, Nick. It was another great round of Serie A action. And especially with the Derby della Madonnina being played, just over an hour ago. I think it's a great time to talk about it and the rest of the action. And of course, joining us, you might have noticed anyone uh, watching live, live from the San Siro, we have Dov Schiavone. Uh, so Dov, you're watching live, live from the live, San Siro. Yeah, just <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I mean, we might as well start there because, uh, well, it wouldn't be a, a Milan derby without the late drama. And, Dov, you were there to see it all and capture the atmosphere. So uh, take us through some of the, the emotions. Oh, well, the first thing, the how amazing was the Inter choreography? The Milan one was good, but the Inter one was really, really so spectacular. Apparently, they spent three months planning and making it. And it was, I think everybody will agree it was certainly worth it. And uh, I think it was quite... The thing about the choreography, so I thought was quite good, is that obviously Inter had the one with like the symbol of Milan and the little snake, and then Milan's one was then breaking the snake in half, which I thought was quite apt. It's almost if they planned it together. Um, but yeah, but then obviously afterwards the uh, they're just taking away things. Sorry, people. Um, but yeah, the, the atmosphere was obviously fantastic we obviously we had some stuff on the instagram on Forza time football and um put some videos up on the twitter as well afterwards with all the inter fans jubilant and the atmosphere of the stadium was as you would expect it was well, you've been to the derby i've been to not but multiple and it's just it's electric a full san zero with two teams that are relatively equal kind of going at it and, and quite an important derby as well it's just absolutely electric it's one of the greatest things in football um, and it's obviously a pleasure and, and an honour to kind of, and a privilege to be there as well. So, yeah, the atmosphere was great. The game, not so much. <laughs> well, I mean, just on that point, uh, I'll, I'll go to you, Vito. But, um, you know, it, it wasn't the highest quality derby. And sometimes we do see that. It was definitely physical, uh, a bit of emotion out there, but very scrappy at times. Though um, Inter did it late and they've done it like that quite a quite a bit this season it's a it's almost a new mentality kind of arising what, what did you make of inter if i was to talk about the game in general i thought it was a disappointing game and very cagey and scrappy Inter in particular they started off slow but in the second half i thought they were the team that looked more willing to win the game and i could see that based on spalletti's substitutes to bring in players like keita balde and he brought on Candreva. They were more offensive changes than what Gattuso served up. 
and Gattuso looked like he was going to close the game. Spalletti allowed his team to keep going at it despite the scrappiness. And Icardi is a guy that doesn't always need a lot of touches, but he had a goal disallowed in the first half, and this time he scored in stoppage time and scored a much-needed goal. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, Inter, as I kind of referred to there, they've, they've left it late quite a bit this season. They've actually scored seven of their 13 goals in the final 15 minutes. And then on the other hand of thing, AC Milan um, have conceded 10 of their 11 goals in the second half. So it seems like one team's playing till the end and one team's possibly struggling uh, to do that. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that they, Nick. I wouldn't say that they're playing to the end. It's more that both teams are really tired. But yeah, yeah. I think it was about the seventieth minute. It was noticed. It was. It was very noticeable about how how tired. Um, and Inter kind of for most of the second half, particularly kind of the, the end of it, they, they just had them pinned back into their own box, and Milan couldn't. They couldn't um, kind of get that out ball because Higuain was you know, taken out of the game by Skriniar and Fry, and Suso and Chalanoglu were both. They just they couldn't move anymore. They, they didn't have anything left in the tank, and that's something that that, that Gattuso obviously worked on was the fitness. And Inter looked like well, look today the fitter team, out uh, the two of them, and I think that's what won Inter the game, and it's probably what's won them games earlier on in the season is the fact that they're a much much fitter side and they can go and for, they can play for the whole ninety for most of the, the ninety minutes, whereas other teams maybe kind of fade a bit earlier than they do. Yeah, I'll, I'll stick with you, Dov. But um, it se- it did seem like both teams were lacking a bit of match fitness, possibly off the back of the international break. But in general, Inter seemed somewhat of a class above Milan for most of that match. And you know, just going through the online comments, there's a lot of negative talk about Gattuso and his approach to the match. Do you think it was too negative? Should he have uh, tried to play more, or they just simply didn't have the ability out there? I think I think his plan was to counter attack. I think that's what he used. They sat quite deep, and, and they wanted Suso and and Chalanoglu to to counter attack him. And I think I think that the the, the plan is it's not really something that, that Milan have done very often this season. Is that counter attack? It's been the, the, they've been a bit more dominant than than what they were today. I mean, I mean, Inter kind of had like I say, they had them pinned back for the majority, and. Milan just they couldn't get out of their the edge of their penalty area. So I think maybe you, you could criticise Gattuso for setting up the team to, to kind of be so deep. But I, I get it's like what what do you do? I mean, Suso's not got the pace to be running up and down the wing or or the finish. Chalonok was the same. He's a bit better, but again, they're not they've not got pacey wingers like Politano or Kitabaldi or Perisic. So I think maybe yeah, you could say that Gattuso should be looking to utilise his players a bit. But a bit better and kind of being a bit more kind of strategic with how how he wants them to set up. Because I mean, yesterday in the, in the pre-match press conference, he said that Milan were the better team. He says Milan are the better team, but they set up like they were almost the underdogs, which uh, is a bit confusing, if you ask me. Yeah, it, it likened more of a provincial team's approach to the match than a than a, a giant football club. Uh, Vito, it's seven games in all competitions, seven wins in a row for Inter. On the other, on the other hand, Milan, uh, four wins for the Serie A season. And actually, um, I believe they actually were, had more points at this point of the season last time around with uh, under Montella last season. Um, you know, I don't want to start the whole tirade because I was quite vocal with the whole the the whole Montella issue when people were calling for him to go out. But Obviously, at some point, the, the pressure is going to be on Gattuso here. The pressure will be on Gattuso. And uh, the, the performances, of course, they've been a bit patchy as well. And to lose a derby like this will be more disappointing. He needs to turn things around quickly. But having said that, even if his job's at risk, there's a lot of speculation that one of the candidates who has been linked with replacing him at uh, AC Milan, which is Antonio Conte, he could be going to Real Madrid. So it'd be interesting how that pans out. I mean, if uh, Conte goes to Real Madrid and uh, Gattuso still gets bad results at Milan, I wonder who Milan's going to turn to next to replace him. 
to be honest, Vita, I don't think they're going to be replacing Gattuso anytime soon. Um, Conte's got no. a lot of kind of... He's, he's tied up at Chelsea with a massive contract. And yeah. I think he's at 12 million euros a year. There's no way in hell Milan can afford to pay that for a coach. And they can't afford to buy that out. So you're, you're expecting Conte to, to, to come to an agreement with Chelsea, which why would he kind of give away 12 million euros? Milan could afford to probably be on half of that, if I'm being perfectly honest. So I think Conte is, is a... It's a, a bit of a pipe dream for Milan, if I'm being honest. In terms of Gattuso, I mean, I mean, I think like you, we're saying that Gattuso's job's at risk, but it was a last-minute goal and it was an error from Donnarumma. I think we should be looking more at the players. Like, what was Masaccio doing? What, what was Donnarumma, do, Donnarumma doing in the final minutes of a game to, to, to make a mistake? Like, Donnarumma just makes mistakes all the time. And I think that's something that needs to be looked at rather than kind of Gattuso's approach to games i'm not saying he's totally at fault Gattuso, and realistically i don't think it'd be ideal for milan to go for conta regardless of his contractual situation with chelsea and all the willings and dealings with that but uh, yeah it goes to show that at the moment even if they don't want to stick with Gattuso, there isn't much available at the moment so for the time being they're probably better off keeping him for the next few months or so or even leaving him there until the remainder of this season. Interesting thoughts there. Well, guys, well, actually, Dov, both of us were there, I think it might have been two seasons ago when Inter were ahead the whole match and uh, Milan scored a 98-minute equaliser. Was that, was that Christian Zapata? I think it was Zapata. So possibly a yeah. bit of uh, <laughs> a bit of payback tonight uh, with Inter's late winner. But um, unless either of you guys had more to wanted to discuss more about the well, Milan derby? I, I, I wanted to talk about Donnarumma because I think that's a mass, it's a big thing mm. that it was his mistake that cost Milan again. Obviously, we've seen him completely mess up in the Coppa Italia and, and even this season, he, he's always got a mistake in him. And, and I, I, I see that obviously, I, was, I went had a quick, quick look on Twitter afterwards and a few people are kind of beginning to question whether or not he should even be Milan's number one. They've got Reyna there sitting on the bench, or an experienced goalkeeper. I mean, do you think that he's... Do you think Donnarumma should maybe can you give him a, a couple of games off, let Reina go in? Or, or do you think that because of the wage, he's on, wage that he's on and that he's going to be number one for a couple of seasons, that he's just got to... You're going to have to live with him making these mistakes. I think the club's certainly under pressure because they've uh, because he's on that kind of wage. There's that need to have to actually play him and justify the spend on him. Uh, but I mean, Dov, I can't. I th- might have been. We've been talking about for three seasons ago. I remember being on the pod when I first started, and when Donnarumma first came onto the scene, and there was the usual the next Buffon. But but this time it was the the talk was no, this will be the next Buffon. And sure enough, a couple seasons down the track, and we're starting to question that again. Vito, <laughs> I, I saw I saw a tweet. Um, just before that it might be the first time ever that a footballer has peaked at 17 years old. Um, is is there a future for Donnarumma still? There is a future for him, but I reckon it'd be quite some time until he turns it around. He's still making far too many errors for my liking. And this season and the previous one, he has shown real lapses in his game, whereas in the first two seasons he looked very confident and he was looking like a goalkeeper that had maturity beyond his years. Now, I think it's not just skill, it's probably a mentality issue with him. And I think there are a few other young goalkeepers coming through, like Emil Aldero at Sampdoria and Alex Merritt when he's fit at Napoli. I think there are just a couple of the young goalkeepers that might be able to take that next step. So I think Donnarumma needs to really watch his back and lift his game soon. Otherwise, he might even lose his spot in the national team too. Mm, well, I mean, CM Fox certainly seems to think so. Um, he's of the belief that Mattia Perrin is better. And I think there are a lot of people, in fairness, out there in the Azzurri supporters who would much rather uh, Perrin between the sticks for Italy, and myself included. I, w- I think I would feel much more comfortable. Dov? I, th- I agree, but the problem is he doesn't play. Yeah. <laughs> so you've then, you've then got another problem. You've got, I think, a better goalkeeper, a more... Kind of sturdy goalkeeper, a consistent one, but he doesn't play football, so <laughs> problems. 
yeah problems but i mean at least there is there is talent there so that and in a couple of years there could be some really good competition to get that goalkeeper spot for italy so there are some positives i think about it but certainly donnarumma is not not uh, living up to the expectations the early expectations that were to fill some massive boots for italy and obviously milan even he's not really uh, doing the job um yeah we've had some talk out there some um, negative comments about Gattuso, obviously questioning his approach to the match, some of his substitutions. We'll head straight to uh, probably the big shock of the... Actually, there were two big shocks. So one of them, uh, Juventus won, Genoa won. Uh, Juve's first dropped points for the season, probably not the match we were expecting it to happen. I know Vito will be absolutely just ecstatic about this result. That Dov, you were actually there in the ground <laughs> Um, how did how did that go down in uh, in Turin? Oh, I, I, it was almost as kind of after Genoa scored, you kind of thought Juve aren't going to win this, or that they're not going to get another goal. Um, but Juventus dominated, like for the whole game, the absolute like Genoa were essentially camped in their own half for the majority of it, and really offered absolutely nothing. And then the goal came through just. Just a lack of concentration from Juve. I mean, I think it was a cross or kind of a long ball that looked like it was going to go out for a goal kick, and then just some weird bounce. <laughs> it's like some crazy backspin, and it, and it bounced and stayed in. And then I think it was Kumani or something. He crossed the ball in, and Benatia and Borucci, both of them just weren't even looking at all. I think they just expected the ball to go out, and Bessa just free header from like three yards out. And it was just, it was everybody was shocked. Like, what the hell happened? Because Obviously, Ronaldo's goal was a bit fortuitous, I think, as well for Juve, but they dominated. They didn't have too many shots. I think they only had three shots on target in the entire game. Um, and I think Allegri was a bit a bit silly with his substitutions because he took Mandzukic off. And, and it, you know, the last 20 minutes, he had Ronaldo, Bernardeschi, Douglas Costa and Dybala all on the park. And all of them play in the same areas. They play around the box. Ronaldo was supposed to be the centre forward. He's dropping deep to get the ball to try and have a thousand long shots and it wasn't happening and Dybala's the same and Douglas Costa would look, kind of be on the on the left to try and cut inside a bit of a disc and they just had nobody in the area and you, you, you kind of sometimes when you're in games you get a sense of the crowd of like oh something's going to happen something like there's something coming and you could just tell that there was nothing nothing happening for Juve and I like right afterwards he said that they basically stopped playing after uh, with, with half an hour to go, he just said that their heads weren't in the game, and they were obviously think, probably thinking about the Champions League on uh, on Tuesday. But I just said that they, they kind of thought that they had the three points in the bag, even though they're only one 0 up. It just shows you how great football is: is that you can have a team as dominant and as fantastic as you they are, and just one moment of one lapse of concentration, one kind of say almost not a moment of madness, but just one little kind of thing happens, and you drop two points. It was, it was an interesting one. The first half was rubbish, though. I have to say that it was absolute garbage. The second half was a lot better. Yeah, just you mentioned those the shot stats there. Dov, there's 21 shots in total and only three on target for Juve, which is very rare. They're usually known to be extremely clinical, even if they're not getting that many shots produced. But um, somewhat of a rarity. Vito, I'll throw it over to you um, quickly. CM Fox at his best again. I told you all, Genoa are coming for the title this year. Vito, your response? The comedy festivals, uh, I think they finished for the year, but the Melbourne Comedy Festival is on in March next year, so a few months ahead, a few months ahead. I, I just can't believe it. Juventus, they had to drop points eventually, but out of all the people you could drop points to, where's the logic in this? But with all seriousness, I think it was just a bit unfortunate that Ronaldo had those chances to score. He scored one, but he could have scored more, but... Put of Woodoff doesn't win games, obviously, and Ibala wasted a couple at the end. So the chances were there for Juve to smash Jona, but unfortunately it was one of those days where Genoa somehow managed to get the points, and they did it without Piontek even scoring. Scherzny made a good save from him, and that was probably about it. And then Bessa, ex-Inter youth player, scored with a nice bullet of a header. And another Inter youth player, Radu, had a good game in the Genoa goal. So the interconnection at Genoa. Dov, I'll leave the final thoughts in Turin with you. But, I mean, it is two points dropped, however, still four points ahead of Napoli. And, I mean, I'm sure no one's really too concerned, <laughs> even in the Juve camp. They're still going to win the league. It doesn't matter. They can drop as many points as they want. The other teams will drop more. 
and, and I think that that's that's basically the long and the short of it. There, there's just so much. I think we've said it on every podcast that people complain about that about it that we don't talk about Juve, but they're, they're, what really is there to talk about? They're the best team by a country mile, and nobody can come close to them. And it, well, in Italy anyway. Um, so you're you're kind of trying to talk about little things where nitpicking like maybe a decision here like a, a like substitution or something like that whereas he's not going to make that many mistakes throughout the season Juve won't make that many mistakes throughout the season so yeah they're still going to win the league they're still better than everybody else they were better than Genoa and they, they got a bit unlucky if you like with, with conceding that goal. Uh, quick question for you Dov before you do Lee there's a in the comments there's a question for you do you think Crescito is underrated? I like Crescito I'll be honest with you um, obviously he's getting on a wee bit now he's over 30 but I think he's a good wee player I, was, I liked him when he, I remember watching when he first came through at Genoa and I thought he, he's a player who would go on to kind of play for one of the Milan teams or Juve because I didn't think he's really that good but obviously he went for some cash money in Russia and he always came back to his boyhood club and he's the captain and, and, and kind of leader for them so yeah, I like him I think he's good Alright well I think uh, you're going to head back in Dov, you've got some duties to attend to. So thanks for joining us again live from the San Siro. Much appreciated. F- hashtag FIF at the games, everybody. Uh, <laughs> see you soon. Bye-bye. Vito and I continue on with another shock, really, for this weekend. It was a, it was quite a big weekend, the derby and then some some results which we thought were pretty straight, uh, some games which were straightforward, rather, but um, the results didn't quite go to plan. Uh, Spal beat Roma 2-0. Uh, Vito, what were your thoughts on that? A bit of a shock. Shock results, and I thought Roma were very wasteful. They had about 63% possession compared to Spal's 37%, and I thought that Jekko and Unda in particular should uh, hold some responsibility because they were probably the most wasteful with the opportunities. Vanya Milinkovic-Savic, the brother of Sergei from Lazio, he had a good game for Spal, but then... Towards the end, he had a bit of a brain fade, argued with the referee, and then threw the ball into the crowd and then got sent off. So that was crazy. But otherwise, Spo did what they could with limited possession. Semplici, the coach, did well to set up the team right. They had a more creative midfield, despite having that low percentage of possession. And that helped with them when they used the ball. Whenever they had the ball, they used it very well, moved the ball quickly, and they got some decent skills on the ball. So although they've got players with limited reputations or low reputations, they're a real drilled side, and they've got a lot of underrated players. So I think we can say that Roma played bad because they do waste games like this and stuff up like this quite a fair bit. But I think Spal deserve credit for earning the three points on the road. Definitely. We'll, we'll stick with Spal before we go too in-depth with Roma because... They had some. They had, I think, it was four losses in a row before this match, prior to the international break, and it seemed like they were really unlucky not to get the results. They were often playing well, but they just weren't quite getting there. And I think I spoke about it on the last podcast, and you almost felt like the result was coming. Possibly didn't expect it to be against Roma, but with respect to that, you were you were kind of waiting for them to put it together and get the result. And I think before this match, there were a lot of positive signs the way they're playing, which you've spoken about. But certainly their ability to get a win like this, um, it's a huge, huge confidence booster for their um, potential in Serie A this season. Oh, totally, totally. I do think that with Spal, one of the main strong points are the wing-back positions. And Manuel Lazzari is a superb player. I reckon by the end of this season, he'll be sold for good money, despite being loyal to Spal for so many years. And I thought the other wing back, Filippo Costa, who's surprisingly a Kievo Youth Academy product, and they love their oldies down at Kievo. So for him to be shipped off to another club and come good, I think, uh, you know, sometimes it's ideal to give the young ones the chance. And Costa was very energetic down that left side for the Spallini. So I think they'll be doing well as the season progresses, they're capable of surviving allegation. But as I've reiterated on previous podcasts, they just need more goals and they need strikers who can hit double figures this season. Andrea Petania scored from the penalty spot, but he's got three goals this season. And I felt he could have scored maybe two more in this game. So hopefully he can get his shooting boots on and help Spal avoid safety because I think they're a nice little side. You know, one of those provincial teams, but 
Look, good on the eye. They just need to be far more prolific with the finishing. And I think they're capable of providing more shocks like this. Yeah, definitely. Um, you mentioned Lazzari there, and um, I'm not sure if we've spoken about him much this season, but I think he's been arguably one of, if not the most consistent right mid, like uh, midfielder on the right in, in Serie A this season. It's every match he's creating opportunities and he just seems to find so much space himself. And it, he's just been one of the most impressive players for me this season. So I've got huge, huge raps on the way he's been playing and it's good to see them get such a big win. But we'll go to Roma, obviously, um, they, were, they were kind of the flip side of Spal, that they were on a winning streak of four matches and then went into this expecting to get the win and didn't go to plan. It's it's almost that typical old-school Roma where they go to a match, they dominate a lot of the possession, they get a lot of shots but don't quite get the result. Is there cause con- cause for concern, Vedo? Um, I think FIF actually had a video um, a few days ago about Roma and they will there was a lot of positives being spoken about. Probably timing wasn't great given the loss now, but um, is it possibly a one-off after the break or is, is there concerns in the way the, the result panned out? Perhaps there aren't general concerns as yet and there were concerns before the streak, but from what I saw of this game, I really have to question the form of Ed and Jacko. Statistically, he has been fantastic for Roma, and I saw on the Twitter account that he's now joined the list of top 10 all-time goal scorers in all competitions. So that's pretty impressive. Having said that, Jacko, when he has a bad day, is terrible. He's either lacking mobility or he just wastes so many chances. So when he has a bad game, I sometimes wonder if Di Francesco has enough courage to put on Patrick Schick or put on another attacking option to really shake things up. Although Checo has got great experience and he's had a fine career throughout Europe, I don't think he should be earning that centre-forward spot very comfortably. And when Roma has a bad game, especially when he wastes chances, sometimes he's just got to really take the responsibility and take a look at himself, see what he was doing wrong. It's a, it's an odd one. I guess there are the you could use the excuse of Daniela De Rossi not playing, Kolarov also out. Uh, but really, you you know, I don't think Roma fans will be uh, will will take any comfort in that. And it possibly goes to something we've spoken about this season already. Um, there's a comment from Philip. I mean, the midfield is very downgraded than last year. He says, and it, it goes to a tweet that uh, Vieri, one of our FIF reporters. I saw him during the game actually tweeting something, I'm paraphrasing, but something along the lines of you can't expect to replace Nangalan with Cristante and expect the same results. And, you know, it's true. It's it's The midfield is, you know, we can t- keep talking about it, but it's it's just so different to last season. And I, I don't think we can expect the same results given that. I did look at Vieri's tweets as well. The other thing I find intriguing about that, though, is looking at the lineups, I think Cristante played deeper than what Nangolan would have played. Yeah. When I saw Cristante play Atalanta, he played further forward, uh, perhaps in a, not perhaps, but in a more advanced role, and he was able to make late runs into the box and score goals. In the last few games, Lorenzo Pellegrini's been performing that role, so I really question if Pellegrini and Cristante can really coexist in that same midfield and actually produce positive results for the Giallo Rossi. Yeah, it, de- it definitely seems like um, De Francesco's still got a lot to figure out as to how to play that midfield. There is a lot of up-and-coming and promising talent there. It's just how and if if they can work it together in one team um, is big question marks. And, of course, they need to do it consistently enough to try and stay in the, the top four in the Champions League spots. So they seem to be able... It's just the inconsistency, I think, is... As always with Roma, it seems to be. And with that, we'll go to a, a team that actually was expected to win and did the job. Napoli 3-0 over Udinese. Uh, I believe they were without, without Insigne, but it didn't seem to matter for them. They um, just went about their duties another day in the office. Pretty simple, Vito? It was rather simple, especially based on that scoreline. What I liked about this performance was that two of the non-regular midfielders scored the goals. Fabian Ruiz came on early for Simone Verdi 
and scored a fantastic goal in the 14th minute from outside the box, which was great to see. And Marco Rog, who was hardly utilised by Maurizio Sarri in the previous years, he has been earning more playing time under Ancelotti, albeit mostly in cameo roles, but he took his chance this time and he managed to score the third goal with a nice low strike. So I'm happy for those two guys. And it's an ideal look for Napoli to have these kind of contributors. When you have backup players scoring in games like this, it's a big plus and it also takes pressure off the regular starters and the stars of the team too. Definitely. It's it's a, a big plus from previous seasons and obviously they'll go into the Champions League rounds being a bit more refreshed um, in their team team lineup. Um, they went out with a 4-4-2 in this match. And, yeah, as you said, um, I, w- I really like to see Rog out there and for him to get a goal it was great. Uh, he hasn't been great this season, I'll say, when he has come on, but I'm, I'm really glad he's actually getting the time to start to develop his skills more and be part of this team. I think that's the key, to actually give them some playing time so they can develop. To be honest, I don't think there's really much to, to go into Udinese. My apologies to any Udinese fans out there, but there's really not much to talk about with that team. Now we're going to welcome Vieri Capretta, who was at the Kievo Atalanta match. Vieri, Ventura is back, but it didn't go quite to plan for him. What happened to Kievo? So Giampiero Ventura returned on a bench 341 days after that apocalypse with Italy. And yes, well, it didn't work out at all with Kievo. The game was over after 20 minutes against Atalanta. But obviously, it's early days to judge. As much as it is Ventura, of course, who is someone who will go down the wrong way in the history of Italian football, regardless of what he'll achieve with Kievo, it's very early to judge him after just one game. Of course, everyone expected perhaps a more, bit more of a reaction from the players, because this kind of performance was exactly the same that we got uh, under Lorenzo Danna in terms of Kievo. I think, personally, the problem there is not the coach at all, even though, obviously... You know, Ventura uh, is mediatically more interesting than Danna. Problem is the squad, a squad that lost Dainelli, just to mention one of the key men in the changing room and in defense, especially Castro and Inglese in the starting lineup, and hasn't replaced them at all. The transfer window was disastrous, and Kievo, for me, have always been one of the main candidates. To, to be relegated and they faced a team that Atalanta has a great squad but just wasn't getting results so literally the worst possible combination so a team that is actually very good is very well coached as well but had some issues in terms of scoring and we saw that in the, in the early moments of the game when Atalanta produced a lot up front but just didn't get those uh, those goals when they did get the goals you know, good night to Kievo, good night to Ventura. Not a good day at all for both of them. But it's still very, very early. So perhaps, you know, we could be could be talking about a miraculous salvation for Kievo uh, come May. But I I don't see I don't see it happening and the problem isn't Ventura, but it's just not a, a not good enough team. It it really blows my mind what Ventura is doing at Kievo after as you said, the disaster that was the Azzurri missing the World Cup. Surely, if he, if he was going to make a comeback, he it needed to be the right one, and and one where there was at least some hope or something to work with, or somewhere something he could show his abilities with, if 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 his abilities are still there. But Kievo, what what was he thinking? Like this this it was only ever going to end in heartbreak. Surely, like um, I mean, you know, we could talk about that, but we'll. Tr- it just seems crazy to me. And Josip Ilicic is back for Atalanta and he scored a hat-trick. Did they look that much better with him in the side? Absolutely fantastic performance by Josip Ilicic. Not a surprise, of course, to see him at this level because he is someone who just lacks consistency. But technically speaking, he's a fantastic player. Obviously, he's not the most pragmatic of players. He's not had a regular career. But when he's at that level, he's amazing. Three goals, two of which pure class the second one completely killed off the game I mean what more can be said obviously he's a key man for Atalanta but Atalanta have got other options in that position as well uh you know of course they've got strikers like Zapata who was on the bench today Papu Gomez uh had a good game against Kevo but he's someone who 
at his best level is as good, if not better, than today's Ilicic. You've got someone like Pazalic, Rigoni. So you've got options. Atalanta are a better side when Ilicic performs at this level just because he is fantastic when he manages to, to find the back of the net that regularly. But they are a team that has a lot of uh, different options. Gasperini is very good at mixing things up and getting the best out of his players. So this is definitely you know, a, a change to the season with this victory, finally getting the results that were lacking despite you know the team was performing quite well, as Gasperini pointed out in the press conference after the game. It was results that were lacking and having someone like Ilicic with such uh, an inspirational game uh, you know, could make a difference. If he can find the consistency he lacks, uh, then Atalanta will have definitely uh, a better option up front than what we saw lately. But I think it's a team that has plenty of different ways of being dangerous and of playing. And under Gasperini, they can always be a candidate for a European spot at any point, with or without Ilicic. Now we're going to welcome our usual host, Connor Clancy, who was on hand and at the stadium for Parma against Lazio. Connor, Lazio left it late, but ended up with a comfortable 2-0 win at Parma, though was it as simple as the score suggests? Yeah, they left it very late, really. Um, the 81st minute, I think it was, when Chiro Immobile got the penalty that gave them the lead, and then, of course, uh, Immobile turned provider in the 93rd, 94th minute, whatever it was, for Joaquin Correa with what was the last kick of the game to make it 2-0, but no, it wasn't a comfortable win by any stretch of the imagination for Lazio. They Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burroughs Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Inzaghi said in the press conference after the game that they could have been 3 or 4 nil up, they could have won 3 or 4 nil. but in a way he's right, they could have scored 3 or 4 goals, but they also could have conceded a few. Um, Parma had their chances, Roberto Inglese was quite wasteful. He, he broke really well at one point and it, all he had to do was either shoot normally or release the ball to Antonio Di Gaudio who was free out on the left and would have had a simple tap in but Inglese kind of did neither and ended up trying to shoot but seemingly panicking and scuffed his shot wide of Strakosha's goal and it was a real wasted opportunity that Parma should have gone ahead with that and then things would have been so much different from there but no, to, answer, to, to answer the question now it, it wasn't comfortable at all it wasn't as simple as the score suggests, Lazio could have had their fair share of goals themselves. Uh, Patric missed a really good chance in the first half. The ball came over the top and he had a volley about eight yards from goal. And it was just a back pass to Luigi Giuseppe, effectively. Immobile uncharacteristically missed what was almost an open goal. From, from where I was sitting, it seemed like he was within five yards. It was a really, really poor miss. Um... There were other chances as well. I can't. I just can't think of off the top of my head. But yeah, Lazio could have had their goals, but so too could Parma. So no, it wasn't as comfortable as the score suggests. And what about Milinkovic Savic? Do you think he impressed? Yeah, well, I guess the big story to come from this game wasn't actually anything to do with what happened on the pitch. It was that 
Manchester United and Barcelona had scouts at the game watching Sergei Milinkovic-Savic, who it wasn't his worst performance of this season, but it was far from what we have come to expect of him in recent years for Lazio. He he was involved. He had a couple of shots from outside the box. He stung the fingertips of Luigi Seppo once, I think it was, and then he, he missed the target with another effort. But yeah, he, he was okay. Not spectacular. He, he, Luca Rigoni kind of did a good job dealing with him for the most part. But um, now Lazio kind of looked more to the wings than to Sergei Milinkovic-Savic for any sort of creativity. So he was quiet enough, but when he got the ball, it was obvious that there was a, still a talented player there. He's only got one goal and one assist so far this season, which isn't really good enough given the quality that he so obviously has and I said in my post-match video which is up on the website and Facebook and Twitter and everything that it, it seems inevitable that he's not going to be there for much longer the only question seems to be well the only two questions seem to be will he go in January or the summer and for how much basically um you would expect that Lazio will get a decent sum of money. It's probably not going to be anywhere near the 100 plus million that we were seeing thrown around in the summer because he's he hasn't lived up to that price tag since it was put on his head. But you would expect that Lazio will be more than happy to let him move on and they can reinvest that money in the squad. And personally, from his point of view, the way things are at Manchester United at the moment, I'm not too sure I'd be keen to play there. Um, he's We've compared him on the podcast to Paul Pogba before. You can see what has happened to Paul Pogba at Manchester United. So I think it would be a strange move were he to go there. But Barcelona, yeah, I think that's, that's quite a nice fit for him, isn't it? Um, I know Barcelona have been linked with Paul Pogba as well. So if they went for Milinkovic-Savic, it's not that much of a downgrade particularly on form over the last couple of seasons. And um, I think that is somewhere that he could really show his best football. And of course, Jovinho was missing again for Parma. Did they miss him? They really missed Jovinho. It was clear. As I said, Inglese and Di Gaudio looked to break whenever they could, but they just don't have Jovinho's pace. And I've said it every time that I've seen Parma this season, that they are so, so reliant on him. He is their big hope of doing anything this season. And every time they get the ball, they give it to Jovinho. And when Jovinho has the ball, it's kind of a weird thing. The, the other Parma players usually just stand around and watch. And when Jovinho beats his first man, then that is their green light to go forward and attack. And when Inglese charged forward, if Inglese beat someone, there wasn't quite that same response from the rest of the team. He didn't have the Tardini on their feet as Jovinho does. All Jovino has to do is beat one man and you can hear the seats um, folding back up as people get on their feet at the Tardini. They love him there. He, when he beats someone, it's infectious. The players believe that they can go on and beat these bigger teams. They can beat anybody when they've got Jovino, which is quite strange because as exciting as he is, as lively as he is, as quick as he is, he's not the most talented of footballers but it just seems to work for him here at Parma and they were definitely missing him Inglese was missing him Degadio was missing him the other players were missing having him as that outlet they were looking they were still trying to play these passes for Inglese to run onto into the channel but as much as Inglese tried he's just not got the pace or the I don't want to say trickery because at times it seems like Jovino doesn't know himself what he's doing but it, it, it's effective so yeah, um, they, they absolutely did miss him and the sooner he gets back, the better for their chances. I know they beat Genoa 3-1 without him, but come on, it's Genoa, isn't it? But yeah, um, Jovino was sorely missed by Parma today. Yeah, uh, just quickly to fill up in the comments, my apologies, but we did start, in fact, with the Milan derby. So if you kind of rewind, you can check out the, the conversation about that. We, uh, we had Dov speaking live from the San Siro, so my apologies, but... Uh, for everyone else, we'll uh, head over to Fiorentina Cagliari. That ended 1-1. Possibly a disappointing result for the Viola, Vito? Absolutely. I still think they've got one of the best young attacks in Serie A. And I thought they could have done a lot better than just relying on a Jordan Virtu penalty to get the goal. Cagliari, I don't think they're too bad. 
they just need a bit more time to keep playing their game and gelling. I thought they played well before the the international break against Bologna when they got the 2-0 win. So I think there is a style of play there. But the interesting about this game was that Leonardo Pavoletti got his fourth goal this season, third or fourth goal, not entirely sure. But the interesting thing about this one is he got it with his foot. And usually that guy scores with headers. So that was rather amusing. And uh, we'll go to the other match was Bologna against Torino, which ended 2-2 after Torino were 2-0 up. A, a great go by, goal by Iago Felke, actually, too. Uh, and then Bologna came back again, uh, grabbed a draw. Vito, it seems like just uh, not too long ago, we were pretty much had given up on Bologna and thought Inzaghi would be out the door. Is there actually hope for them? Is he actually starting to get some positive results here? It seems to be that way, and I think a lot of it is the midfield setup. Before, his 3-5-2 formation looked like an 8-0-2 because there were defenders and hard workers. Now there's probably a bit more creativity there, and I think it's starting to pay off. Torino were winning 2-0 in this game, and then there was uh, Federico Santander who pulled it back to 2-1, the guy that uh, Connor calls the useless lump. So... Third goal in the season, not doing too bad for a tree trunk striker. Maybe he keeps it up, we'll see. And the equaliser for 2-2 was the one that probably made me happy because it was Ricardo Orsolini who, who provided the assist and he started the game. He's a promising young talent, so I'm glad that he's getting some proper chances. And he set up his uh, Italy under-21 teammate Arturo Calabresi, who's a defender, but he made the run forward, got an equaliser and... It's good to see when young Italians are doing something good and showing some problems. So hopefully those two can keep it up. Definitely. And that pretty much covers, well, sorry, there was uh, also Frosinone, another draw, Frosinone Empoli 3-3. Uh, we won't talk too much about that one. but um, it's Top game, like though. An action-packed game, yeah, for sure. Well, that pretty much ends it with uh, Serie A. But uh, look, because I'm hosting, um, I'm just going to just take it wherever we want, Vito. So I know we both follow the Serie B a bit, watch the results there, and uh, always looking for those southern teams going well. Um, while Foggia did lose, just to update everyone, they did lose to another southern team. So uh, Casenza got their first win of the season, which was great. So good to see them get up. Vito, what do you make of the Serie B at the moment? It's good that we've managed to cover it for the first time this season because we do give a little bit of a wrap here and there. So far, it's been rather intriguing. I don't think we're getting the high-scoring games like we did last season, but at the moment, Pescara's on top and they managed to get a 3-1 win away to Spezia, who are still in the playoff areas as well, the fourth. I think uh, Pescara, they got a good win on the road and uh, Pepe Pilon, who actually got Kiev into Europe uh, about 10 years ago, he's uh, having a career revival at Pescara, so he's created an effective unit and they look like they might be in, back in Serie A. Palermo, they got a 2-1 win away to Lecce, so again, Southern representation. They look like they're in the fight to get back up. Well, actually, there was a Venator derby, so Venezia won, Hellas Verona won. Venezia got Walter Zenga as a coach now. So he's doing the merry-go-round. And Hellas Verona, they got Fabio Grosso there. So Hellas Verona look like they could be back in Serie A too, but the draw, probably not the best thing for them. One more thing before we finish up on Serie B is that Foggia did lose, but they've got four wins and four losses, and they had that points penalty. I think if they can be more consistent and get more wins and obviously lose less, I think they can climb up the table because they are an action-packed team scoring plenty of goals, but they just got to tighten up that defence. And uh, I'd be surprised if they got relegated, to be honest. Yeah, definitely. I, th I think they're showing uh, more than enough uh, promise in, in their matches. They, they look a quality team for Serie B, and I, I think they'll be not only safe, but I, I think by the end of the season they can be very easily pushing up for, in those uh, playoff positions. Uh, again, Serie B seems to be throwing up such a close competition you know we're still early days obviously eight matches in but from second to what is it 11th separated by four points so you know two wins in a row in that mid table and you're right up into the the automatic playoff positions almost so um it's a close league if anyone isn't too familiar with it i 
thoroughly suggest uh, tuning in. There are some quite exciting matches, possibly not as many goals as last season, as Vito said, but um, some good competition anyway. And with that, Vito, I think we've managed to somehow get through this uh, mm. after Connor pulled out late with his connection mm. issues over in Italy. So um, hopefully we've done an okay job. My appreciation to you, Vito, for uh with your knowledge it's always very easy to get through these things so um if you want to hear more of Vito's knowledge and intellect on the game which is second to none of course find fif on twitter facebook instagram we have fif at the games as dov mentioned earlier in the in the podcast we have you know often five or six uh, games being broadcast live so there's some really great content live from the games being broadcast so make sure you're checking those out and of course for those of you uh, listening or watching on youtube where we've had quite a few videos over the last week come out some about teams in particular i've i've also put one out about looking and analyzing var and the use of that so Please check those out and subscribe to the channel so you are notified when they are published. But otherwise, that's it from us. Thank you for joining us. Thank you to everyone in the comments. I'm sure Connor will be back next week to to take over the hosting duties back. So um, until next time, from Vito and myself, ciao. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.